seated. All right, hang on to your star. I'm going to tell you in a little bit more about it. But hang on to it for now. And if you didn't get a star, I've still got a few extras I will gladly hand you after worship. So I am 35 years old, which might break plenty of preaching rules to tell you that from the pulpit. But here we go. I'm 35 years old, and I don't remember a time without war. And I say that knowing that, yes, there were times there wasn't war, but I don't remember them. That intermittent thing, the intermittent things early on meant that some of my most vivid memories from young childhood are images of soldiers marching across the screen. They had on what would become a very familiar desert camouflage uniform. It was when I was probably in kindergarten that we first began passing out yellow ribbons to remember the men and women serving in places far away. So I would later learn names like Bosnia and Sarajevo. But the truth is all of those operations require me to use some Google to figure out exactly what was going on. But time and again, there were things that looked like war, even if war was not declared. And so names that I'm guessing for many of you were familiar much later in life were part of childhood. Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Kuwait were words I learned to pronounce in second or third grade. And so while the time has definitely blurred, the images of the soldiers on the screen remains familiar. And I can even picture one particular scene still. So if you do some math, you also might realize that since I am 35, I graduated from high school in 2002. The attacks on the Pentagon and the Twin Towers in New York that are so much of our corporate memory now happened during my senior year of high school. And so several of my high school classmates signed up to wear that familiar desert camouflage uniform because of the attacks. And while my class was mostly unscathed, I know the classes following ours had several people who never made it back home. It was a couple years later when I sat in a college chapel that was packed with students as a scholarship was announced, a scholarship named for Todd Beamer, one of the passengers on the plane that crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. And I tell you all of that because I think this is also one of my very sobering realities. I am 35 years old, and I have never been an adult during peacetime. Operation Enduring Freedom officially ended in 2014. That came out of the initial responses to the September 11th attacks. I have at least one career military friend who tells me that that was the longest running U.S. military action ever. but. I didn't check his facts with Google. 
What continues now is called Operation Freedom's Sentinel, and it's the ongoing U.S. presence in Afghanistan. Now, we could spend a long, long time talking about the costs of war, including the people who come home to continue battles of their own. But that's a lot for one sermon, so I will hold that for another day. I've been thinking about this reality because of an event that you've probably heard about in the news this week. Qasem Soleimani, and I think I got that right, was killed in a U.S. drone strike in Baghdad, Iraq. He was an Iranian military general who was both powerful and popular. And killing him was a move that was weighed by the two previous administrations, both George W. Bush and Obama's. And they both decided against it, saying it would be too dangerous, create too much volatility in the region. And with those same things being true, that general was killed. And so now we are sitting in this time when there are all sorts of conjectures about what comes next. There was a New York Times op-ed that said war with Iran is now inevitable. And many more have said, well, we're not going to end up in war, but we're going to end up in a place with conflicts that are ongoing and less predictable, the place where it is war except in name. And extra U.S. troops were deployed already. At the very least, it destabilizes a region that wasn't exactly stable to start with. And one of the most immediate effects that we will likely feel is that oil prices can skyrocket if Iran chooses. So those are a bunch of world events that I think we can't ignore, ones that you're probably well aware of. But this week, as I was preparing to preach, I couldn't shake them because we're talking about the Magi today. The gospel reading that Noel read just said that they came from the east with no descriptions. But in extra-biblical tradition, all these things that we talk about for years and years that came from elsewhere, one of the kings, Melchior, came from Iran. It was called Persia then, but he was king, and he was the one who came bearing the gold to give to the Christ child. If you have a traditional nativity set at your home or have you seen them, the one that comes with three wise men who all have different shades of skin, they are tied to that tradition of wise men, even though we might not know it now. And Melchior would be portrayed as the old white guy among those wise ones. The legend was that he was very old when he went to see the Christ child, but he lived to 116, so he got to celebrate a few more Christmases. Now, the truth is, we don't know a lot about Melchior or the kings who came or the Magi, as some translations have it. But the kings of the land we now know as Iran were actually welcomed by God's people pretty fiercely and greatly. There is an Iranian king's name that we actually know very well from the Bible. It's King Cyrus. And In the list of good kings and bad kings, King Cyrus is one of the really, really, really good kings. Like, really, really good kings. 
He wasn't a king of Israel, but he was a king of their captors. And he was kind to God's people. He was the one who said, you may worship your gods, you may worship freely. He was the king who facilitated the return from exile after God's people had been cast out of their homes. It was Cyrus who funded the rebuilding of the temple that had been destroyed in all of those things. He returned the artifacts that had been stolen when the first temple was destroyed. He is a good, good king. And so as we tell stories of Jesus in the temple teaching and worshiping, all of Jesus' life took place because a political shift happened and they could return. King Cyrus, the Persian king, was much loved. Now, he was most likely a Zoroastrian, the same faith as these magi. There's still Zoroastrians practicing in the world, but they are mostly, we think of them now, and especially this ancient form, as astrologers. The people who read signs in the stars and might make their way because of what they see. So Iran that we know is predominantly Muslim. It became Muslim in the 7th century. And it too was a great Muslim nation, a seat of great art in particular during the Muslim Golden Age. So we tell this story year after year that we're really familiar with. You probably don't need much prompting to say three wise men, three kings, and the gifts that they brought. And as we sit at this place in history, I'm reminded that telling the story that involves a Persian king from what is now Iran means that our histories remain intertwined in so many ways, even all these years later. So there are a few things when I think of this king, we'll call Melchior for the sake of tradition and keeping things straight this morning, when I remember him, I do always remember that he heeded the warnings of a dream. He returned home another way, and he spared the life of a child, the Christ child, by ignoring the directives of the other king. But all of the Magi, actually, from all their places, strike me as strange. It seems strange that they are so openly seeking for something that they are so willing to change course at the sighting of a star, that they are so willing to do something different at the dreaming of a dream. And this is where we come to our Star Wars. Everybody got the same star this year. Many years we've given you different years with a word to shape the year. But this year, I decided to give you one that would shape in some ways our life together. We'll revisit it a few times, and it is Revelation. Probably know it, the word, at least from the book in the Bible, it is Revelation, not Revelations, just as your Bible tidbit for the day. But it means at its most basic level that something that was previously unknown becomes clear. Now, our story tells us that there is a star, a dream, another way home that becomes one revelation. But it could be something else entirely. 
And I shared that word not just because it's epiphany when we talk about a revelation of who God was in the world, but also that it might guide our life together in this deep belief that what we have seen in Jesus can change us and the world. And so we had the opportunity to both share God's revelation, share in God's revelation, and maybe even have a revelation or two of our own. Now, as I was thinking about today, as I was weighing again the weight of world events and wondering, wondering what comes next, I also revisited a revelation that comes out every single year. There's a New York Times opinion columnist named Nicholas Kristof who every single year writes a little bit of the same article. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, and yes, he's been doing it for a while, but it's not that he's just out of material. Instead, at the end of every year, he says this year has been the best year ever. And now, I want to share with you a significant portion of that article because I do think it shines a different sort of light on where we sit and what we are called to. If you're depressed by the state of the world, let me toss out an idea. In the long arc of human history, 2019 has been the best year ever. The bad things that you've read about are true. But it's also true that since modern humans emerged about 200,000 years ago, 2019 was probably the year in which children were least likely to die, adults were least likely to be illiterate, and people were least likely to suffer excruciating and disfiguring diseases. Every single day in recent years, another 325,000 people got their first access to electricity. Each day, more than 200,000 got piped water for the first time. And some 650,000 went online for the first time every single day. Perhaps the greatest calamity for anyone is to lose a child. And that used to be common. Historically, almost half of all humans died in childhood. As recently as 1950, 27% of all children still died by age 15. Now that figure has dropped to about 4%. If you were given the opportunity to choose the time you were born in, it'd be pretty risky to choose a time in any of the thousands of generations in the past. Noted Max Roser, an Oxford University economist, economist who runs the Our World in Data website. Almost everyone lived in poverty, hunger was widespread, and famines common. But, 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 President Trump, climate change, war in Yemen, starvation in Venezuela, risk of nuclear war in North Korea. And I would mention at this point, there was nothing going on differently with Iran. All those are important concerns. And that's why I write about them regularly, yet I fear that the news media and the humanitarian world focus so relentlessly on the bad news 
that we lead the public believing that every trend is going in the wrong direction. A majority of Americans say in polls that the share of the world population living in poverty is increasing, yet one of the trends of the last 50 years has been a huge reduction in global poverty. As recently as 1981, 42% of the planet's population endured extreme poverty, defined as living on less than about $2 a day. That portion has plunged to less than 10% of the world's population now. And every day for a decade, newspapers could have carried the headline, another 170,000 moved out of extreme poverty yesterday. Or if one uses a higher threshold, the headline could have been the number of people living on more than $10 a day increased by 245,000 yesterday. Many of those moving up are still very poor, of course. But because they are less poor, they are less likely to remain illiterate or to starve. People often think that famine is routine, but the last famine recognized by the World Food Program struck just one part of one state in South Sudan that lasted for only a few months in 2017. Diseases like polio, leprosy, river blindness, and elephantitis are on the decline, and global efforts have turned the tides on AIDS. A half century ago, a majority of the world's people had always been illiterate. Now we are approaching 90% adult literacy. There have been particularly large gains in girls' education, and few forces changed the world so much as education and the empowerment of women. You may feel uncomfortable reading this. It can seem tasteless, misleading, or counterproductive to hail progress when there is still so much wrong with this world. I get that. In addition, the numbers are subject to debate, and the 2019 figures are based on extrapolation. But I worry that deep pessimism about the state of the world is paralyzing rather than empowering. Excessive pessimism can leave people feeling not just hopeless, but also helpless. So yes, climate change remains a huge threat to our globe, as does compassion fatigue in the rich world, and it's likely that we will miss a United Nations target of eliminating extreme poverty by 2030. And meanwhile, here in the US, Trump presents a continuing challenge to our institutions, and millions of families have been left behind and are struggling. We should keep pressing on all these fronts, but we should also acknowledge the backdrop of hard-won improvement. We are some of the first people in history who have found ways to make progress against these problems, says Roser, the economist. We have changed the world. How awesome is it to be alive at a time like this? And he added, three things are true at the same time. The world is much better. The world is awful. The world can be much better. I appreciated that revelation for me as I consider what it means to have lived my adulthood in a time of war, as I consider what it means to have our world shaped by particular events.
but I give you the hope of revelation to carry with you this year. Because there are great things that come from revelation. Maybe it is the memory of an Iranian king who came to see another king who could change the world. Maybe it is the revelation that there is always another way, and that way leads to life. But I hope that you will take this star with you for your journey this year forward and trust into what, in what God may reveal to you along the way. Amen.